0: Ah uh. this now there's me look at me hello I'm at How's it going, guys? I don't have anything planned today. I thought I'd just do a chill stream, talk to you guys about whatever you want to talk about while drinking chocolate milk. Don't tell me there's no sound. Tell me I have sound, right? Okay, we have sound. Good. I hear the milk. That's good. It looks like they've had an unemployment expire. That's pretty crazy. I mean, the thing is, the reason I, I just assume that that's going to be corrected at some point is just because I don't see the percentage in continuing to do it from the perspective of people in power. Forgetting the political parties, the actual power holders. So, unless this is the end and they're, like, getting ready to... Uh, I don't know just put people in fema camps i don't really get the percentage but i i don't know somebody said i was being smug about it and if i was i apologize i understand people's livelihoods are at stake here and they're terrified and they have every reason to be worried about this shit. i'm sorry if i appeared uh to not really have enough empathy for that position because obviously it's horrible I think what they're going to have to learn is just that their premise that, like, you can't have people on unemployment because it's going to prevent them from seeking work. I think that they just don't get that the jobs don't exist. I think that they're, uh, I think that they are trapped in a illusion about how bad things are and how badly they've injured, how badly the economy has been structurally Undermined by this, that they think that there is still are they that disconnected and ignorant? Yeah, I mean, I was talking about this they have we have the most unconnected ruling class since before democracy, which is pretty impressive when you consider that this is supposed to be the, like the the archetypal democratic state, or at least we like to think it is they're absolutely unaware uh, it's pretty horrifying. Uh, So I don't know what's going to happen. Like I said, my assumption is at some point reality will sink in and they will decide to put more money out there. But uh, they're going to make it as, as punitive and as humiliating and as difficult to collect as possible. That will definitely happen. There, there's no question about that. Somebody wants me to talk about quantum mechanics, and I really don't know anything about it. I don't know anything about hard sciences. So I don't want to turn into Joe Rogan. Uh, it's fight to say that... I don't know. It's, a it's, uh, Yeah, no, I, I want to steer clear of that. Thank you for the question, but I don't want to... More than anything, I don't want to just lose myself in trying to, like, guess around things that I frankly don't have enough of a grounding in. I'm not a math guy. Or a, or a science guy. I'm not Bill Ma- Bill Nye, the science guy. I do I do I do sense though. Like my my like uh, more instinctive than than informed sense is that. Uh, There's a lot of shit going on down there, if you know what I mean, Uh, in that quantum realm where, uh, most interestingly, the idea that causation breaks down uh, at a quantum level is really interesting, and I think it has some very significant implications that, once again, I don't want to get into right now, because I'm trying to not alienate people, or myself, by... Uh, somebody recommended William Volman's uh, book about the Nez Perce War yesterday, and the only Volman I've ever really tried to read is, I tried to actually read in high school, I think, his gigantic book about like, the ethics of violence. I think I only got halfway through. Rising Up, Rising Down. All right, this guy has got me tempted with the quantum thing. I, don't, I really didn't want to say anything, but I'm just putting this out there as a theory. I don't want anyone thinking that, I'm saying, that, I, that, that I think this is true because I don't have enough of a, of a basing in the science to suspect that, to, to have any idea. Uh, but I kind of think that like the way to resolve the free will determinism question is that a freely made choice essentially ports you through the quantum space from one planet to another, one version of Earth to another, where you make the choice that you make. I am not on weed right now. Actually, that's one of the reasons I'm being more hesitant. Is because uh, I, when I'm not when I'm not sheafing that lounge, it, it, it gives me more uh, more more resonance to go off. I feel more confident to just kind of pull things out of my ass. I did watch the last season of Rick and Morty. It was fine. Rick and Morty is, is, is now just a comforting, a comforting, fun program for all to watch. I feel like the, the fever has broken around Rick and Morty, the cultural fever, and now you can just watch it and have fun. Have I ever read two books at once? Do you mean simultaneously? No. That seems like it'd be very complicated, but I have read multiple books, like, switching off bef- between one and the other one. Spanish Civil War. I should, I've teased the Spanish Civil War in past before, and now I kind of want to do it just to get everybody mad at me. I would kind of want to, like, sketch it out in such a way to make sure maximum anger from both the anarchists uh, and and the, uh, the 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 Soviet apologists out there, because there's plenty there's plenty in that material to uh, to troll both sides pretty hardcore. Somebody yesterday, this reminds me, somebody yesterday was talking about Zapata, the Mexican Revolution. and people in the comments were uh, praising Zapata like how he was you know the true revolutionary heart of the French of um, the Mexican Revolution. I think that's certainly true. But, uh, I've always wondered with Zapata, though, <clears throat> if Zapata had been in a country <coughs> that had a Soviet-style revolution in it, he would have, wouldn't he have ended up being like a, a, a like a, a green insurgent, like a peasant rebel against the modernizing urban uh, communist party that would be trying to take power? Like, wouldn't he be more likely to be a Nestor Monko type person and if that's the case, who, as a, you know, uh, as a historical arper, vi- uh, vicariously getting your enjoyment from the heroics of previous generations of revolutionaries, who do you pick? So people are talking about Pol Pot, I mean, I think, I I, I don't understand why, isn't Pol Pot canceled if not for uh, the killing fields for taking CIA support after the Vietnamese uh, kicked him out of power? Best SNL deep cut? That's a good question. Talking to uh, Adam McKay definitely brought back a lot of them. And man, I I mean, I kissed his ass on that show for that, but it's unapologetic because having, as I have, a historic knowledge of SNL, uh, his his sketches, his like five to one sketches, to my mind, are still the best ones. They're like, if I'm listing my favorite SNL sketches, almost all of them are going to be McKay's. Uh, high C in Turkey, uh, and Orange Julius, of course, but Old Glory Robot Insurance, for God's sake. Uh, I don't know how deep of a cut it is, but I think Mr. Belvedere fan club might be my favorite SNL sketch of all time. To tear the flesh, to wear the flesh, to be born into new worlds where his flesh becomes my key. That's good stuff. I watched the Zoom SNLs, and they are by far the worst thing the show's ever done because it's not the show. It's not Saturday Night Live. The fact fact that Saturday Night Live, the premise of which was a live broadcast before a studio audience on a Saturday night, tried to do shows where they recorded shit in people's apartments, really does show the maddening, psychotic, compulsion towards normalizing everything that undergirds the social order, and what makes it so hard for us to confront real crises, because we normalize crises instantly. (coughs) And that's what I've said, that's what I said yesterday, I'm scared about global warming, man, because this is just a preview of how, you know, if fucking Florida sinks, people are going to be like, ah, you know, it was Florida. What did you expect? not for it to be covered in water? Come on. I mean, as soon as you are doing a show Saturday Night Live and it's Kenan Thompson in his kitchen talking into a fucking camera for 15 minutes, you've lost the plot. Like, obviously they had the show must go on mindset, but that's not the show. The show can't go on, and instead of acknowledging that things are such that the, sh- that the normal order cannot obtain, we're going to take some mutant, uh, uh, distorted, homuncular version of it and say, no, this is it, and then you're going to go, yeah, I guess this is it, and then now you've, you've accommodated another level of, of unacceptable horror in your life. I know that's not a very uh, dramatic example, but... I think that it is uh, indicative of a greater cultural phenomenon. Yeah, I'm talking into a camera, but I'm not Saturday Night Live. I'm really bummed that High Sea in Turkey is not on, apparently it's not on internet anywhere. I looked for it, I couldn't find it. Orange Julius I think you can find, I think it's on like uh, Daily Motion or something, but uh, High Sea in Turkey, for my, to my knowledge, is not available to watch anywhere, which is insane. It's such a good sketch. If anyone's ever seen it, it's about uh, Danny Aiello plays a, a door-to-door salesman who comes into a family's house. And he keeps insisting that they give him high c and Turkey. Uh, and then he's incredibly confrontational with the family. And then it ends with him taking them hostage and demanding high c and Turkey from the police. Uh, classic stuff. One of my favorite SNL quotes ever is Danny Hello saying to the, to the parents of a child, Your kid has goat eyes and he stinks. SNL mostly only puts uh, recent sketches uh, on YouTube and I think that's because at some level they understand that if you put them next to even sketches from the mid-90s, you would notice the decline in quality. And I know that that seems like, oh yeah, grumpy stuff. And I am generally resistant to that idea that like Saturday Night Live, oh, this is terrible. It's always bad relative to the time. Like, it's never great. Uh, it's not like being a fan of another, of a regular television show or movie or anything. It's it's being fan of, it's like being a fan of a baseball team. You know, they're gonna, they're not gonna be good all the time. In fact, they're usually gonna lose. I mean, I, yeah, I guess I should say, it's like being a fan of like the Mets. It's not just being a fan of any baseball team. It's being a fan of a chronic loser. But it's your team, and there's, you follow certain players, and you root for them, and uh, they have a good game, you're excited. But, I've noticed that, like, recent SNL, and I think this is part of the, just the flattening of, uh, of, of everything. Uh, they just... Every sketch is just a premise. It's like, hey, what if this happened? And then it just does that thing over and over again. And that's, uh, that's kind of boring. There should be some sort of... You sh- I mean, if you have a, an absurd premise, the comedy you wring out of it is by escalating the premise and in- introducing new levels to the premise that shift things and are surprising because comedy is the point, you know, surprise is the point of comedy. Whereas now, SNL sketches are almost entirely a setting up a, a wacky premise and then just doing it without any uh, any uh complication and part of that you know it's they're, they're grinding it out and they don't really have time to to, to to fine-tune things but it means that it's pretty crummy and if you were putting it on there on youtube next to high sea and turkey i think a lot of people would be like what am i watching this for what am i watching this new shit for And the other thing they do on SNL, which I think is really, really insidious, is that instead of, having, uh, instead of having recurring characters, which was, that's classically SNL's bread and butter, they have recurring premises where the characters have no notable uh, quirks that stand out. It's just it's the premise. And then they do the premise again. So instead of ha- having one sketch where they beat the same horse for, 20, for five minutes... It's two or three sketches beating the exact same horse without even having, like, a charismatic, wacky point character, a recurring character, to put any kind of, uh, like, emotional arc behind or, uh, or character development. Because, like, I remember watching SNL when, there, were, when like, there, was, there was a Pat sketch every week, but at least every Pat sketch, it was like Pat on a desert island. Pat with a robot, you know, whatever. It, was, it, it had some sort of uh, uh, elaboration on the, and the, on the premise, even if it repeated the jokes. Whereas now, it's just the premise being repeated. So if they, if they don't get back on stage, I think they should just stop the whole thing. And they can just chalk it down as another thing killed by COVID. Oh boy, Gilly. Oh, you're giving me flashbacks. That was terrible. Man. Kristen Wigg was pretty talented, but she had no good recurring characters. Every one of her recurring characters was insanely irritating. I don't watch them all. So many, people ask me, like, well, how do you watch every SNL? I don't watch them live every every time, but they're on like they're 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 like on the next day on Hulu or something. Oh man, G.E. G- Smith was the king of the guitar face. That dude constantly was just Steven Seagal style, face just riffing off. He loved it. He was also a big right winger and he played the RNC last year, last, in 2016 I think. Like G.E. Smith's band played the RNC when they did Benghazi Night. Oh God, I'm not talking anymore about a honk pill. I'm not talking about the honk pill. I will say this. Last night I was explaining the honk pill to someone and they were having a very fun time because they had no idea what it was and they were just dying laughing at the prospect of this thing. Uh, and I actually read the the honk pill thread and reading it out loud, you really get how... You get what the internet does to people's brains. Because... No matter how eye-rolling or absurd most things you see on the internet are, uh, in that context they're sort of given a, I don't know, like a, a, a surface plausibility or something, uh, because they're embedded. It's embedded. But if you read it out loud to someone else as though you're just like saying something to someone, <laughs> you, you, you can really just be like, oh, oh dear. This internet is just like uh, this. This website is just churning people into into paranoid maniacs, and and they're walking around with this stuff in their head, thinking it's real. And you're like, oh my god, that's yikes! It's a yikes fan. That's what it is. I kind of want to find it and read it again. Read it on here, kind of, because it, reading it out loud was so funny. I'm just going to read two tweets that she did. And like, there doesn't even need to be a pipeline travel from Chapo to Truinon to Red Scare to Stupid Paul to Fash at that point. The Dirtbags are welcoming incels into their fan bases now. Those guys don't need Terragram to lead them to violence. And that 8chan, Terragram, clown world, and honk pill nihilism is already deeply laundered into the Dirtbag left. The Honkler... His catchphrase "honk honk" is explicitly code for HH, short for Heil Hitler, is all over Dirtbag Twitter. You would not believe the number of Dirtbag leftists using Clown World and other variants of this meme, like clown emojis in my mentions. Don't most don't even realize how the clown emoji got popularized as code for the explicitly Nazi honkler Clown World meme? It's beyond irresponsible. The podcasters are seeding the left, ironically, with terror-friendly discourse. And institutions like Dem Socialists and Jacket and Mag are enabling them because they care more about recruitment than they do about consequences. I don't believe they're deliberately trying to get people killed with this shit. I don't think the irony-dead honkler creator Channers were either. I just think they're all recklessly indifferent to the potentially deadly consequences of their actions. I mean, once you find yourself earnestly writing something like... Uh... <laughs> The 8chan, Terragram Clown World, and Honk Pill Nihilists. <laughs> <laughs> and not only are you talking about these things like they have meaning, you're talking about them explicitly like they are life and death concerns. Like the Honklers. If they're going to listen to the podcast and then they're going to kill everybody. The Honkler Terragram Cloud World Pogpill People. It really only hit me when I read it out loud how insane that stuff was. And that kind of scared me a little bit because I'm like, I knew it was funny and I thought it was like silly and I'm like, oh, Gwen's had it again. But then reading it out loud to someone who wasn't online as much and hadn't read that stuff really hit me like, oh, this is an entire like, uh, uh, like, like, self-created universe that somebody has fashioned out of the bricolage of the internet and turned into a turned into like a, a a existential battle between good and evil. Damn, man. If that doesn't tell you people you need to like step back from the internet, I don't know what the hell it would. Just that is the abyss staring right back. And the thing is, is that like if it's all a scam to get people to like pay attention to her, that implies that she thinks that kind of stuff is going to resonate with people. That someone's going to read that and be like, Clown World Ponkler, yes, uh-huh. Teragram, yes. And if that's the case, then yikes. If, if, if there are people for whom that is meaningful words, it's like, fuck, we are in Pontypool. We're in the Pontypool universe where the words have turned into a virus and are just burrowing into our heads and dissolving our cognitive function and replacing it with, uh, with a paranoid alternative fantasy realm. I bet the NFL will def. I think the NFL will return because they've got, the, like, the most united owners, they've got the most cowed uh, labor, labor, uh, or uh, <clears throat> most cowed, cowed players union of any of the major sports. And f- football is sort of the most, like, ritualistically encoded uh, sport we've got in terms of, like, validating America's hegemony and power and all that shit. And the idea of, like, not having football is a fundamental uh, undermining of uh, of the American project. And I don't think that they would allow it to happen. It's because the people who need football, the people who want football back, uh, at all levels, including the ownership, are the people least likely to accept that anything has really changed. So, I would, if, they are, if, if, if football doesn't happen, then, then uh, that means that COVID really has gone out of control. When am I going to push back on my celebrity guests? Probably not. Why would I? I invite somebody on your show? I don't know. I, I'm not a fan of that. I don't. I don't see the point of it. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to like countersign something I think is like wildly wrong. But at the same time, I'm not going to like try to like body check somebody who I otherwise respect because they're older and like they ha- they their political uh, imagination is different than mine. It seems like that just seems uh, churlish. I think it's just that instinct of wanting to own everybody that people get from online, and it's. And I, I get it for being the show because, like, we own people, but we generally don't own our guests. Like, they're on the show, you know? We're trying to make it a vibe. The show's trying to be a vibe. So, people who want, like... And the funny thing is, the few times we've ever had conflict with a guest, people freak out. I remember when, I remember when we had David Cross on and he got into, like, a five-minute argument with Felix about Louis Farrakhan. And back when the sub- subreddit still existed, they, there was a gigantic freakout like So we didn't have fun, like, I certainly didn't enjoy that argument when it happened, and it didn't seem like people enjoyed it, listening to it, they all were, like, breathing into paper bags, like, that's the example of that happening, and it wasn't fun for listeners or us, so why would we want to do that? Somebody keeps asking if I've read Rush Limbaugh's books. Why in the world would I read Rush Limbaugh's books? Yes, I I read Rush Revere and the Tiny Patriots or whatever the fuck weird children's book he did. Actually, we did edit that, uh, yeah, the actual argument between Felix and, and David Cross was a little longer. We cut it down a bit. Ooh, that is a big, long one. Uh, how do I read all this and not go insane? It's tough. That's why I like to generally come with something prepared so I don't have to look at the chat so much. But uh, That's why I, 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 I said this earlier, but uh, we're hoping in the near future, in August probably, uh, to, to set up a thing in our studio uh, with the gaming uh, console and with Chris there and like, do a, uh, like a Q&A thing so that I don't have to talk and look at the chat at the same time. And I think that'll be good. Uh, I gotta say the Amon. Somebody asked about the Amon Bundy thing. I mean, kudos to him for at least a, uh, maintaining any some kind of uh, just maintaining some sort of coherent worldview, which is more than can be said for most of his conservative uh, counterparts. Well, actually, no, I shouldn't say that. Uh, they they have a conservative worldview. T- they have a uh, coherent worldview too. It's just that there are uh, there are parts of it that they don't acknowledge, like, they think they don't like authoritarianism, but they just don't like the idea of having it used on them. They, in fact, depend on the idea, they depend on authoritarianism and, in fact, fetishize authoritarianism against who they, the people that they consider the enemy, the Schmidtian other. Uh, and uh, give Bundy credit for at least not subscribing to that. <laughs> I'd love to go on stop show. That sounds great. I don't have a plan to, but I would. I bet I went on a Hassan show. I went on Hassan with, uh, with Brace and Liz. Yeah, sorry about this. I usually don't do it this way, but I just I'm out of ideas right now. I'm feeling like a spent a spent force, but I just wanted to say hi for a bit. Ever read Robert Anton Wilson? Of course. Luminaz's Trilogy, baby. That's a college classic. I highly doubt it holds up, but I really enjoyed it at the time. I own a copy. I haven't cracked it in a decade. I carry it around. I move it around, but I guess I just like having it around. But yeah, no. That was another formative book. I've heard that there's a subreddit for the streams and uh, that's very flattering and uh, I'm, I'm glad that people are getting stuff out of them. So, I, 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 uh, I, I will admit that I have gone. I've heard people pointed it to me and so I looked at it. Uh, kind of just to be like, oh God, you know, is this more of the same Chapo Trap House Reddit stuff? And I have to say that, uh, I mean, it's not a lot of people and it's not like, terribly active like Chapo was, but uh, it definitely seems to be a, a better vibe over there How do I stop it from becoming nihilistic? People have been talk, I mean, thanks to the honkler thing, people have been talking about how nihilistic the grill pill is lately. And as I said, that's not a thing. There's no such thing as nihilism. Even if you say, fuck it, I'm going to pursue my own pleasure, that's not nihilism, that's capitalism. That's what we're all doing. Like, you can call it nihilistic in, like, a long term because it leads to social and ecological... Uh, Collapse, and is predicated on horrific uh, exploitation. But you sure as hell can't say that it's not some sort of a value system. It is. It's just you've enthroned hedonism. You've enthroned, and and I think the the way to push back on that, and the way that it, it has to be pushed back on, is to point out that our desires are not our own. the The idea that anyone can operate that any that people who are that if you're operating from like what you see as your, your self-interest, the way that like, libertarians talk about it, that that is somehow intrinsic to you, that that's something that is generated by your like, spirit and that it's not entirely uh, socially constructed is, is a fantasy that undergirds a lot of the most uh, pernicious and, and uh, harmful social dynamics we have. So I would say anybody's like yeah fuck it I'm a nihilist like no you're not you're what you're letting you're letting uh you're either letting you know the 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 branded uh like late capitalist machinery tell you what you want or even or if you're self-consciously like if you're being self-consciously trad or something in opposition to that you're still letting it control you you're you're still you're still uh Operating in a reactionary framework to a hegemonic uh, uh, culture of personal pleasure. Uh, What needs to be done is, is I think what people need to do more than anything is interrogate their desires, interrogate what it is they think they want, why they want it, uh, and... I think a lot of, you'll find that a lot of the stuff that, that feels like it's, it's at the center of your being is really compensatory, it's, it's compensating, it's cope, as kids say today. And that you know, real, real value comes from, uh, from a rewarding social engagement. I think that's where, I think that's what, the grill pill, which by this point I'm already sick of, and I wish I hadn't even fucking coined the term. Like everything on the internet, it just gets turned into a stupid phrase and and a, and a collection of uh, of symbols and to be like either embraced or denied, or and then turned into a whole weird thing um, that is like eventually loses all control. That, that loses all relationship to whatever it was originally trying to talk about. Uh, it's just like the logging off is the first step of a process that hopefully reintegrates you into a social value system that replaces that libidinal personal uh, indulgence urge that that frees you or or leads you in a to a process that could lead you to be freed or at least significantly un Uh, enchained, unencumbered by a uh, by that nihilistic self-centeredness. Because the only way that you can really like defeat ego orientation and and self-indulgence as your driver is by having something else that has value to it. Uh, and that comes from sort of offloading your ego onto the people around you, offloading that sense of value away from your illusory sense of personal identity towards a larger and larger social organ that you are, that you are part of and that your actions support. And it creates reinforcing cycles of, of uh, ritualized and, 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 and unstructured social life that provide meaning intrinsically. Like the, the, the meaning arise, uh, arises from the interaction. I have not watched the new Perry Mason show because the idea of a dark Perry Mason reboot is the kind of thing that bums me out about television and <laughs> makes me not want to ever watch another show. I know people have said it's good, but I don't think it's going to happen. How many, sh- how many fucking shows are there? And one of them, how many shows are going to be, especially on like one of the few, few formats that has any kind of remaining patina of prestige around it, HBO... How many? There's only a few on air at a given time, and one of them's got to be Dark Perry Mason. Was last time anybody even thought of Perry Fucking Mason. I know it's good. I know it's good. Somebody pointed this out to me uh, uh, the other day, and it's hundred percent true. That I still uh, think, uh, uh, and it's because I'm a you know a. Uh, it's because I'm an Oregon Trail kid. You know, HBO was a big deal when it came out uh, uh, or after it came out. And for a long time, you know, like that whole thing of it's not TV, that was some real shit because you could see nudity and there were swears and it was mind-blowing. If you'd ever get access to HBO, you've, like a neighbor's house or something uh, or a friend's house, you really felt like, oh my God, I'm really, uh, I'm really experiencing something. And one of the big reasons is, was this. I bet most of you will have no idea what this is and will not recognize the sound. But this was the the thing. That, uh... This is the sound. This was the thing they played before every movie on HBO. the, the, The big night movie. And it was this... There was a camera going through a model of a city. And then sweeping over... Uh, a suburban neighborhood, and then through a small town, and then mountains. There it is. That's what you get when you log on to Netflix, comparatively. You go go on a lap, that's what you get. That's it. Go on Netflix. That's it. Shameful. Where's the pageantry? I guess that's what I want. I want pageantry, damn it. And I don't think that that's just being a grumpy old man. I think there's something to that. There's something just slowing things down, you know? making you wait for something, it just, it makes you have to think about what it is you're, uh, what it is you're looking for. And and then it makes, when you finally get it, it makes it feel more meaningful. But yes, I know, I know 90% of the shit I say on here is just, okay, boomer, but I get it. I'm fine. I'm a boomer, whatever. Yeah, I no, I'm Grandpa Simpson. That's fine. The world needs Grandpa Simpson to tell you stories about the old days. I think we did steal cable at one point, if I remember correctly. I remember some shady shit happening with a, with like a big black box. Yeah, We had cable at one point, but uh, I think we also stole it at one point, too. It was really easy back then. Someone wants to uh, have an explanation for the Tsarnaev-FBI thing that Felix mentioned. So, Joe Carr had his death sentence overturned on appeal today. Uh, and Felix pointed out that we'll probably never find out the truth about the Boston bombing, which most likely at some point involved the fact that uh, that Tamerlane, the older brother who died during the shootout, got run over by his brother. was. In all likelihood, some sort of CIA asset, either a informant, or or someone who was like uh, being being run in some way or another by the agency. And the evidence for that is obviously circumstantial, but significant. One of the main pieces of evidence is that a year before the Boston bombing, three people were found dead, including Jokar's best friend, in a gym where he had worked out, covered in like drugs. Uh, the local police. Their investigation was almost immediately counter, uh, taken over by the FBI, who, according to their own uh, statements, never interviewed Tamerlane, even though he was the best friend of one of the victims. Uh, and no one was ever charged for a triple murder that the FBI was supposed to investigate for a year. Uh, and then, of course, there's the fact that after... There's a bunch of weird shit with uh, Tamerlane uh, and the, the uh, timeline. Uh, there's the fact that he went to Dagestan uh, went to the caucuses uh, and met with like jihad leaders and uh, the FSB actually informed the US government and said hey this guy's been in areas with terrorist activity meeting with people that are suspicious and it was never followed up upon officially. Uh, also you have the fact that the, that the FBI does not even claim that the Tsarnaevs made the bombs. They stipulate that someone else made the bombs but they have never said who it is. Uh, And there's never been anyone charged with having built the bombs. Uh, And then there's the fact that a a Tamerlane associate, a a Sarnayev associate was being interrogated by the FBI in Florida uh, and out of nowhere grabbed a broom or something, according to the agent who then shot him in the back. Uh, And then that guy's wife was immediately um, deported. Very, very, very eye-raising shit. Uh, and of course, you know, that's, there's the Alex Jones thing and a lot of people who think that that means that the Boston bombing was a false flag. Uh, I'm always very skeptical of the whole false flag thing just because I don't think it's necessary. Uh, but the FBI does. One thing we know the FBI does is set up people for fake ter- uh, entrapment terror attacks so that they can pad their stats. Basically, every domestic terrorism plot that's been thwarted by the FBI since 9-11 has been a case of pretty blatant entrapment. There's almost no instances of the FBI, like the way you would imagine it in a movie, finding out about some cell and then catching them before they can like bomb a, a buy uh, a bomb or something. It's almost always some uh, sleazebag the FBI pays Going to find unstable people and say, "Hey, wouldn't it be cool to do terrorism?" Until they say yes, uh, and then they bust them. The most infamous example is uh, of some uh, uh, Miami Haitians who got entrapped into trying to buy a, like a missile to blow up the Sears Tower, and all of it was orchestrated by an FBI informant. None of it would have come anyway. It wouldn't. It, would, it wouldn't have ever come to anything, because it wasn't anything without the FBI explicitly building it up. And that's true of almost every, every terror uh, prosecution since 9-11, which means it's pretty easy to imagine Tamerlane being one of those guys. They got on the line, and then at some point he got off the line, uh, and then they had to cover that up. I don't, think, I don't know that's what happened, but that to me seems like it's the most likely scenario. Uh, it sure as shit wasn't anything like in fucking Patriot's Day, uh, the absolute propaganda. What is the point of the stat padding? It's so that the FBI can appear to be doing something. Like, I mean, we reoriented our entire domestic uh, 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 security around stopping terrorism after 9-11. And they, there was no terrorism to stop. And if there's no terrorism to stop, then why are we doing what we're doing? But if there's, a pl- if there's some guys going to blow up the Sears Tower and there's some guys who are going to attack Fort Dix or something, then there's a reason that we have to be fighting this war. One thing you have to remember, realize is that the FBI, before 9-11, they did a lot of stuff. They had a wide remit to, to investigate federal crimes of all types, financial, uh, uh, political corruption, and after 9-11, it essentially all went to terrorism. What's the message if they don't find any? What's the message? If yeah, we put our we put our uh, our 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 most we put our, our biggest, and most effective federal police investigative agency on the case of terrorism, and it's like, yeah, no, there's no real nobody's doing anything. What the fuck are we doing in Iraq? What are we doing in Afghanistan? Why are we droning people? Come on. Gonna wrap it up here, but I want to say I just rewatched. I watched it when I was. I watched it in the theater this when it came out as a kid. Uh, Ninth Gate, with Johnny Depp, Roman Polanski movie. I remember hating it as a kid because it was boring. Watching it again, uh, it's still pretty slow. I'm not really a fan of Polanski's later work. I watched Ghostwriter, too, and I didn't really enjoy that either. Uh, but it's definitely funnier than I remember. And what really struck me, more than anything, is that it came out the same year as Eyes Wide Shut. And it's sort of about the same thing. It's about the idea of the rich as a satanic occult force that seeks dominion through ritualized sadism and, 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 and like debauchery. Uh, but whereas Kubrick is looking at that through like a, a sterile but still deeply d- judgmental and scouring eye, uh, Polanski's kind of like, LOL, this is hilarious. And it's probably because like Kubrick knew about all the horrible shit rich people did from afar, but being you know a, uh, a spectrum germaphobe weird- weirdo, Goldbug, he probably didn't do anything about it. Whereas Polanski, as we know, is, is one of the evil demon rich people. He is one of the Epstein level uh, perverts. <laughs> And so, even though they came out the same year, and I can't imagine, like, I kind of imagine, like, he heard about it, I don't know, because Eyes Wide Shut was being made for, like, five years, right? Took him forever to make it. And I just imagine Polanski being like, oh, Stanley, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? It's great. Come on. Get some rare books, some togas, we'll do some horrible uh, sexual assaults, it'll be fun. Deadwood was the best HBO show. Someone wants a word on Deadwood. Best HBO show. There's, uh... Yeah, there's a lot of fun little deadpan bits in uh, the, ninth ga- the Ninth Gate. There's one scene when... Uh, Johnny Depp is pouring over this satanic tome to find the, the, these engravings made by Satan... And he's, there, he's in the office of this, uh, this rich French scholar woman in a wheelchair whose book he's borrowing. And he gets knocked out. And when he wakes up, she's uh, strangled in her wheelchair. And it's like, on? And he turns it around. And she just shoots out of the room through the doors. And the doors fly open. And the other room is on fire. And it's a very good, uh, very funny deadpan moment. I gave it like an extra half star for that. It's certainly no eyes wide shut, and it's certainly creepier than that, because you know who made it. You know, it's actually, it's like sort of the, uh, it's the, uh, it's the cabal, it's like a oh, cabal being self-aware. <laughs> and just like, yeah, this is what we do. It's kind of fun. Oh, you, you, really? This is freaking you out, is it? Okay, square. Uh, someone's asking, Jonestown be included in the MKUltra category. I I remember growing up, the uh, big book of conspiracies. That was my intro to parapolitics as a teenager. And that's where I uh, first encountered the theory of James Jonestown as a MK, giant MKUltra experiment. Um, I don't know if there's a terribly large preponderance of evidence on that. Um... So I'm not. That's another one I'm kind of agnostic on. Uh, like, I don't know if there's anything comparable in the in the Jonestown uh, in the Jonestown chronology to you know Manson spending an entire summer at, at an MKUltra, essentially living a block away from an MKUltra-funded uh, 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 experimental outpost in San Francisco. the i mean the, the the weird eye-raising thing about uh Jonestown related to politics is how deeply connected Jones was to the to the San Francisco Democratic Party and its mach- and in the Moscone machine um, but to me there seems to be a relatively banal explanation to that which was that Jim Jones was capable of on a moment's notice getting th- hundreds of people to volunteer for any campaign that he decided he would to support like he was an instant campaign staff and like canvassing teams for any any issue or any candidate who wanted him and that kind of manpower is very very hard to come by especially in local politics and so he he leveraged it uh they made they put him they made him like uh they put him on that the the I think like the Civil Rights Enforcement Council in, in San Francisco and in the housing authority, like uh, the planning committee or the, the housing committee. And then as they were getting ready to go to Guyana is when uh, Feinstein really tried to like get hooked up with him to try to to try to get some help from him for her for her uh, campaign. Then he split off to, to uh, Guyana Thoughts on transhumanism. I always assume that all that shit, all the all the singularity, transhumanist AI stuff, all I put that all in one basket, and it just seems to me to be a big old pile of cope. Just seems like people wanting a way out. Uh, that does I just it it feels like technological. Uh, uh, it's like a techno milleritism, you know. It's like a, it's like a, it's techno millenary uh, uh, apocalyptic fantasy, a way out, yeah. Techno, techno religion. And and what is most pernicious about it is it's generated by an inability to reconcile with finitude, with the idea that your life ends. Uh, the idea that you are part of something and that your specific part of it has to have a fixed beginning and end as all things must uh, and that only only the, the monstrous only the monstrous inequality that this system creates could give anybody for a minute the fantasy that they could conquer that uh, and I think the ninth gate is actually uh, it's got a funny scene with that with the uh, with where frank langella thinks that he has basically become like satan's uh like vice president or something and he gets to live forever as in like as like a, a, a lord of hell uh and to prove it he dumps gasoline all over himself and then starts burning and he's all happy for a second cuz he can't feel it and then all of a sudden he's like oh no oh shit and then he just starts burning literally burning in hell uh and that's what all these guys are going to end up all these fucking transhumanists Deluded, wild, wackos. Even if any of this stuff was real, if it wasn't just fantasy, in my opinion, it's like the fucking mercury tonics that that ancient Chinese emperor used to, uh, who thought he was going to be immortal drank. Uh, it's the same thing. It's, it's. I have. I have attained. A separation. From all humans, I have. I have worshipped my own ego and my own consciousness as the end-all-be-all all of the universe, I, I, am as, I, am, I have assimilated full solipsism with the help of the uh, financial and economic resources that I find at my disposal. And I'm going to use those resources to further a, a fantasy, or a, a quasi-religious fantasy of eternal life Rather than acknowledge the bound, the limits, the inherent limits of any ego based orientation. Alright guys, I'm sorry this one wasn't too good. I don't feel like I was terribly good. Uh, I'll, I'll get some stuff for next one. I'll take a couple days off, I think. But good to talk. See you guys soon.